welcome to another episode of Ideaprov. I'm here with uh, two good friends from work. It's Kim and Christy, and we've always seemed to kind of have those times in which uh, kind of random topics ended up, you know, kind of putting us in conversation. So I thought they would be really good to to bring on the show and just kind of talk through some some uh, unique business stuff that we'll kind of get to in a little bit. So, um, Kim, Christy, how are you guys doing today? What's life been like? Good. Good. Thanks for having us. We're excited. Yeah, been good. Month six of pandemic life. I mean, can't really complain. Working at home and trying to make the best of everything. Has it only been six months? It feels like a year. <laughs> it was a guess, but I think it's about six months. It's, yeah, it, it just, I, I mean, so. believe it or not, I think it really started hitting the U.S. when it was like December or something like that. So. It yeah. feels like that's right around the corner. So before we get into our, our topic of conversation for today, I want to always kind of open up for my co-creators a little bit of space and time to, for them to be able to kind of talk about, you know, the things that are important to them, the things that, are, that they're passionate about, and just give them a few minutes to kind of let them know what's going on. So for all the listeners out there, you know, tune in. Um, so what's been kind of going on and what's been important for you, Kim, in the, the past, I guess, you know, six months, you know, via COVID or even before that, something that you're just kind of passionate about feeling or, you know, a segment that you want to talk about real quick? Sure. Well, um, you know, I have a new baby. <laughs> um, she was born in January. So I think a lot of my passions are around her and my other daughter who just turned 10. So, um, you know, focusing on them and making our, you know, I think making our home even better as we, you know, I think I'm constantly redecorating and, and thinking about how we can use the space since we're spending, spending so much time here together. Um, and I, you know, I think beyond that, even, you know, over the past, you know, five years, I'm you know, love getting creative and developing new ideas, not only for my job, but I've had a variety of entrepreneurial kind of ventures um, throughout the past couple of years. So I think that's kind of been my, been my focus and my passions. Wonderful, awesome. Well, Christy, what about you? What's, what's been um, turning the wheels of your life recently? <laughs> I too have a, a one-year-old in the household now, um, but you know, and of course that's been challenging being home and working. Um, but just a little bit about me. I'm a firstborn American here in my immediate family. Um, first to graduate with a master's degree. I was um, born and raised in Miami, the daughter of a Cuban Lebanese father uh, and a Russian mother. Um, you know, my parents have really been a huge influence in my life. They've lived the American dream, just migrating to the country. and. Um, making something of themselves as a successful entrepreneur. So I've always kind of followed their lead and have always been interested in entrepreneurship and business ventures. So um, my friend Kim and I always talk about coming up with different business ideas and, and how we can go out there um, on our own and, and just what we can do to kind of solve uh, consumer needs or whatever is kind of fun for us to do. So you know, I think my parents played a huge role, huge role in that and that, you know, they were my mentors and kind of, I always looked up to them and what they did, making something out of nothing coming to this country as immigrants. So that's me. That's, that's the true story. Have you guys ever kind of, I guess, got anything off the ground yet or thinking about it or um, kind of, I guess, explored options to get something started between the both of you? 
we did start an Instagram account um, last year, or maybe it was two years ago at this point, mm -hmm. that was, um, was supposed to be an account about unimpressed babies. <laughs> it's still out there. Um, <laughs> But we did this before we were actually pregnant, so we didn't have babies to take pictures of. So we would like solicit baby the people that were volunteering pictures of their babies and just in like really funny faces that we can come up with good captions for. And so it's like babies that looked unimpressed in front of like I don't know. I don't know, like a, something that's funny behind them. They're at the zoo and the, the animals aren't doing anything for them, so they're just kind of unimpressed. And so um, we thought that'd be funny. It did gain some traction. People really thought it was a good idea. Um, we got up to 5,000 followers or so, and then we each got pregnant. I think that was like our way of becoming the uh, employee of the year is to, to kind of birth our own baby so we can take pictures of. So I got pregnant first. <laughs> so Kim deemed, deemed me the employer of the year. And then she came out and said she was pregnant a couple months later. So then she took the reins there. But um, of course, things got a little busy when we had newborns. So we kind of just... We didn't have time to do anything, honestly. We could probably get back to it whenever the account's still out there. Um, but that was one one example of something that we wanted to do and kind of exercise our creative juices a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny that you, you guys mentioned that because oftentimes some of the most, I mean, and not to label, but some of the most weird kind of abstract things seem to just catch fire with people. Like they find it amusing, you know, whether it's, you know, baby photos or, or pets or, or animals and stuff like that they they latch onto this cuteness and it just it just spirals out of control and so like if you got a you know 5,000 followers in a matter of you know a couple of months or something like that it could be something that you could turn into who knows next thing you know you're gonna be printing t-shirts and people are gonna be seeing memes of all your stuff and I mean <laughs> Yeah, think how many companies to, started that way? The idea was to monetize it somehow, right? So we wanted to get to a point where we had a huge following that then we can then partner with, you know, pretty much any business that maybe is baby related that we can come up with a funny caption and, and kind of show or demonstrate their product in the picture. But maybe we can get, get back to that at one point in our lives. I mean, considering you both have babies now, I mean, I, mean, I feel like you have like a natural born amount of content to be able to do it. You know, I That's have, you know, a 10 month old, so I would be more than willing to contribute because there are definite times in which she has, <laughs> she does not care. She thinks she's like, why are you making those faces? You're not funny. Just stop. <laughs> I know. Just feed, feed me a cracker and let me be. <laughs> so it is, you know, it is what it is. What are you going to do? So speaking of that on the other side of the, the spectrum is, you know, with some young people being unimpressed, you can also have some older people that are unimpressed, um, depending on the business that they're in with how things change, right? So sometimes you just have some old people that are a little bit more stuck in their ways and don't really have a, what's the word? Um, don't really have an affiliation or any, any type of passion for kind of new businesses and the way that they kind of go about things, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of want things to stay the same. And oftentimes companies do the same thing because sometimes they have some senior leaders. So what we want to kind of bring to light here from a topic perspective today is how can older, more seasoned businesses um, that have a, a core product or a core group of people and customer 
when they're aging, how can they stay young, stay with it, stay hip to the trends while still taking care of their core customer, maybe adding some more customers, um, being okay with letting some customers uh, fall by the wayside. Maybe they're not their target audience any longer. Um, so my first kind of thought with this, and then we'll just kind of open up the, the floor is, I think a lot of businesses have to be okay that their bottom line, their financials will change when they make decisions and be okay with that. Um, it's oftentimes difficult because you get used to over time that same consistent revenue stream, the same consistent um, uh, people, uh, followers, engagement, target market, all kind of, you know, uh, enabling you to pay the bills, right? And so there's a reluctancy to change because you don't want your bottom line to change. And I think the kind of the first step that you have to do is take a step back and realize, hey, since we're going to make a decision, things are going to change, things are going to be different. Um, and that's going to come with some intended or unintended consequences. And we have to be okay with that, but that's the way that we grow, right? Am I off base there? No, I don't think at all. I mean, I, um, you know, I think any company is successful over a long period of time, you are going to have the aging customer base. So continuing to keep them engaged is one thing, but if you're not fulfilling, filling the funnel with, other people or you know getting new people in there which might be younger might be not um you do have to be willing to take a look at your business and and determine what is my strategy for growth um and taking those risks are are difficult i mean they come from the top of a company so no matter the size i think the leaders have to decide that they're willing to to follow a new strategy and and you know find one that's meant for growth and it's going to be good in the long run. I mean, we're all very short-sighted. So you want things to happen immediately, but growth doesn't happen overnight. And if you know, you're starting to lose out because your customer is quote unquote dying, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, then, you know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to, to take those risks to, to make yourself relevant to the younger, to younger generations. Yeah, you definitely don't want to alienate your core consumer, right? But you want to you want to stay in business over time. So, if I think of, and I was thinking about this earlier, if you think of a sport like golf, right? They tend to be they tend to skew older. Um, it used to be more of a business sport where you go and network. Um, and now thinking about it, I think they've done a, a pretty good job in kind of engaging more of the millennials in terms of like. I think there's apps out there now where you can book a tea time that wasn't a, that didn't exist before, right? So that's something something innovative they came up with that is is kind of speaking to the younger audience and giving them a way to access their their sport in a way that makes sense to them and, and how they're used to engaging with businesses, right? I think there's other things golf could probably do and maybe there are courses out there that do it and maybe having craft beer available to them um you know thinking of things that are different that will attract that younger consumer but without alienating their mm -hmm. core still being that the business you know male that um loves to go out there every weekend mm -hmm. and then well, I think that's aside probably... from age even gender too right what they what can they do for women mm -hmm. And that's probably what Top Golf saw when they were building, you know, their model. I don't know how long they've been around, but 
Yeah. It made golf easy. You know, you didn't have to have clubs. It's really just mm -hmm. a driving range, but you know, yeah, it made it. It's a social thing. You're, you go out there with your friends and you're drinking, mm -hmm. you're, you're playing the sports. So it's a way to get them to, to take a stab at it, try it, see if you like it. And then maybe it sparks interest in going out there and playing a, a round of golf. And, um, it, that's a good point. Top golf is a great example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful that you bring up like golf, right? Because it's a it's a, it's a seasoned sport. Everybody associates it. I mean, with old white men. Let's like to be yeah. frank. It's just that's what they do. They go out and they play golf. You know, a couple times a week. Um, Rich men, like more yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not a cheap sport. Yeah. It's not a cheap sport to, to do anyway. Like the memberships and everything that's at those golf resorts are thousands of dollars sometimes. You know. Um, and they're built all across the world in super expensive places, you know, sometimes in Ireland and Abu Dhabi and, you know, all those kinds of stuff. And it's thousands of dollars to play. Um, but I think, Christy, to your point, like you brought up a good example of, you know, whether it's craft beers or other things like that, being able to apply it and say, hey, taking my core, my core demographic, but how do I how do I bring in, for example, women into the situation? Like what would they want to do? Right? Um, you think about minorities, you think about maybe people with disabilities, like, and so I think you can really take those individual segments of people and look at your business and say, how can I change my business to make it more engaging, more fun, more, um, yeah, just more, uh, just energizing to that particular demographic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that it's changing a mindset, right? Like think about, so golf has always been 18 holes. No, you can't be loud, can't play music. You you have to dress in like your top, your polo and your, your shirt tucked in. All those things are probably things that would kind of deter a millennial from wanting to play more often, right? Because they're not really comfortable in that environment. So what can you do about that? How can you change the structure of the rules around the game to not not alienate your core, but also invite more people into the game? Mm -hmm. So maybe, and even women, like I, 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 a lot of women don't like it because it's so long, it's 18 holes. You have to sign up for 18 holes. But technically, you could sell nine holes. You just book a tee time for half the round or something like that. And, and maybe if you promote it that way, then women are more likely to play. And maybe the same goes for millennials whose attention spans are much shorter these days, you know? So. Yeah. I, it, it could be interesting, you know, as you're talking, Christy made me think about all the things that people don't like about golf. Like, so if a golf course started to create like happy hours, there's more like nine holes, play your music from your cart, you know, have your drink holder, you know, maybe pay a little extra and get a caddy to come with you to teach us some stuff in case you're really interested in it. But I think if you made it more fun. Yeah, and maybe it's a time when not like Sunday morning when, when your yeah. hardcore golfer goes out like there. Like six to eight fun. on a Friday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like literally happy yeah, like a day part that is not typically popular for your mm -hmm. core consumer. So you're not really bothering them and that it's louder and there's more people. But you're capitalizing on a time that, that you don't have a lot of tea times booked and you kind of try and capture some, some of that new millennial. Yeah, yeah I, I think you brought in a, a good point because I'm thinking there's a large 
you know, people will say oftentimes that, you know, millennials and just younger generation are just constantly attached to their phone. They don't have the attention span. So I think that there's a huge uh, component of that being able for people to, to kind of, uh, to focus longer. But is it so much that if you have a, a seasoned business, is it, do you need to change your business model to apply or to apply your product to be shorter? Or is it, do you need to change to fit the people? You see what I mean? Like, is it more of a people question? Hey, let me cater to these individual groups and people, or is it more of a product question in how do I change my product to apply? I mean, they could be one and the same, mm -hmm. but I'm just thinking, for example, in an old, you know, either an old restaurant or, or an old um, something like that. Like, do you need to change the food so that way it applies to different people? Or do you need to change more of the atmosphere around to attract people but still have the same food? Yeah, if you think of restaurants, I guess, I think when you talk about like generations, right, you want to attract the younger consumer and hope that, and, and especially now after COVID, that the older generation, even though they lag behind, they eventually kind of adapt to whatever's happening with technology or with experience or with trends or anything like that. So I think you want to appeal to the early adopters, um, which in this case would be, you know, whatever's trendy, the younger consumer. Um, and then I guess hope that, that your boomers and your older generation eventually kind of jumps on board or you know i think it, it's it's twofold it's everything you said yeah i think you have you have to have an opportunity segment so if 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 golf decides that they're looking at people that have you know a certain income a certain age that would be interested in a shorter course of play that's more entertaining then i think yes it's it's there for them but i mean you can't you know you can't just like start throwing you know you're gonna be wasting your time if you just throw a bunch of shit out and think oh eventually i'll find something that 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 sticks i think you have to do your research and find the right the right space and the right people that fit that space that your products could evolve to um so i think that's kind of one part of it but i think also you gotta stay up with the trends um i mean i don't know if we want to stay on golf but like another um business I was thinking about that's aging is newspapers. Um, and obviously they've gone online and, you know, there's, you know, that's definitely one piece of it, but the Washington Post, for example, they have a TikTok account that's amazing. Um, and it's literally a 25 year old guy in his apartment and all of COVID, he puts out all this like pop culture and like news content and it's so good. Um, and it's not very, you know, stuffy Washington Post, you know, regardless of your political leanings. Um, I think he kind of does a really good job of just kind of stating the news, but it's innovative and it's smart and it's fun TikTok content that you never would have thought was coming from the Post. So, um, so it's almost think, like they've changed their tone and, and you're accessing them mm -hmm. in a different way. So depending on who you are, you access it in a way that makes sense to you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, it's interesting because I feel that there's a lot of companies that are, I don't want to say that they're forced into it, right? So the things change that, you know, are getting to be at an exponential pace. Like if you, if you can't, if you're not leading the trend, like you're, you're constantly catching up, right? So you see all these things like newspapers, TV, 
Um, and, you know, like for example, TV is another one. Like cable's been around forever. Then all of a sudden Netflix comes and turns everybody on its head. Like Redbox does the same thing. And if you don't have it, what you see now is you see all of these other independent ones coming up with their own, you know, um, original content, right? So you have like NBC Peacock coming and you have all these different little ones coming. And they're like, if you, they try it so hard to be able to jump on the trend once everybody else starts it. So I guess what I'm kind of wondering is with the speed at which culture and society is moving, are you going to always have to be, I guess, breaking your own mold, breaking your own, um, whatchamacallit, like your own product to be able to crack it for a new generation? Or do you have any time in which you can kind of, I don't want to say rest on your loins, but uh, just say, hey, look, we've created a good something. Let it be what it be. If somebody creates something better, we'll deal with it then. I don't know. I can't think of a product that like hasn't changed and is still super successful. I mean, can you guys? Like, I'm trying to no, think. I, like, mean, I think everyone's had to adapt or they've, or they've gone away. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can think of is anything like that that's going to be something that's service related, right? Or something that's providing something like that. Like, so things of like that that I'm, I'm thinking of is like landscaping. Somebody's always going to just cut your grass. There's there's no way around it. It's just they cut a grass or um, well, another uh, hair, hair, hairstyling, right? Hairstyling, barbers, that type of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a common thing. It's never going to go away. Everybody's hair grows. It's always going to need to be done. But I think right now it's also, you're seeing people that are doing it in a different fashion, a different form that's allowing them to be far more successful than they would have been 20, 30 years ago. I mean, you have, you know, celebrities and stuff that will hire somebody to just follow them around and make sure that they're nicely groomed or something you know and and they they find that via social media it's it's strange right. like before they would have never been able to have a, a, a function no. like that um that's called a glam squad mike oh okay <laughs> I, I, I think we all need out of the loop <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think but yeah but i think they are i mean they talk about a hairdresser they're yes people have been cutting hair and of course styles change but now they have instagram accounts and they're trying to you know only you pay them via venmo and um, you know, you know, you have wine in your chair and, you know, you're making your appointment online. So I think a lot of those, some things are the same, um, but they are evolving with how that service is provided. Um, I mean, if you think, if you think about like the Ritz Carlton, you know, they are probably the premier service model in, in all of business. So, um, and I don't think that has necessarily changed. They probably live by a very strict set, set of standards that, that they do in their hotels, but um, their hotels are evolving and I'm, I haven't been in a Ritz-Carlton in a while, but um, you know they're making those hotel innovations that they can, but the thing that sets them apart from you know, the, the Waldorf and whatever is that they have the service set of standards that has been consistent since day one. Yeah, and I think that, I think to your point, I mean, yes, these are industries that are still around and they kind of, they do little things like that, but I think that's what separates one individual hairstylist from the next, right? And what gets people to keep going back to the same one is that they're, 
they're doing things to make things easier for you to access them and for you to want to keep coming back to just them versus you know not being so loyal to one or the others i think that's how you stay on top and you kind of differentiate yourself from from others otherwise you, right. kind of, you won't you won't stand out that way yeah it seems like everything is transitioning and i don't know if this is a a millennial trend in response to, for example, the, you know, the larger baby boomer generation who was oftentimes about materialistic things, right? You know, they want the boat, the yacht, the, you know, the multiple houses and, you know, the fancy watches and that type of lavish lifestyle. It seems like the younger generation is more about, hey, I can't take those things with me. I might not have the money to be able to do them myself, but um, I'm more about the experience, right? So they want to go places to the Maldives or to Sicily or something like that and want to take pictures of different places and post them across their social medias to make it look like, you know, they live a fancy lifestyle. Do we think that this is a, businesses are changing because they're trying to apply that to the younger generation? Or do they feel that it's just that uh, in order to differentiate themselves from their competitors, they have to make smaller things like you're talking about, the, like for example, the, the hotel, the Ritz Carlton, to open it up and say, hey, listen, we're not gonna just give you your room. We're gonna give you your room. We're gonna give you special spa treatment. We're gonna give you, you know, a fancy tickets to the ballet that's around the corner. We're gonna give you, you know, a, a, a poolside, um, whatchamacallit, a violin show while you eat dinner and, and kind of make it about this wonderful extravagant thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think, is is that the way that everything is gonna go? Everybody's gonna try and outdo themselves for the, for the next customer on an experience level? I could see that. I mean, everything's so digital. I mean, I think eventually, and you know, especially this year where everyone's having to, to be distant from each other. I mean, I think those real life experiences, I mean, maybe next year is going to be the year of the experience. Um, you know, travel industry is probably going to go crazy. Um, you know, a lot of these service industries that have suffered, you know, might start to one up each other with, you know, they've been focusing on their digital stuff this year and next year it's, you know, how do they outdo each other from a real, in real life, you know, service standpoint? Yeah, and to me, it's all about loyalty. I feel like nowadays there's less loyalty to specific brands because we have so many available to us. So it's the way, I feel like it's the way that, that businesses are trying to capture or keep that consumer. And that's why I think almost everyone's come up with a loyalty program and all these incentives to try and get you to continue to come back to you because there's just so much competition out there and people are conspicuous. I mean, we're not, we have a lot of options and it's hard for us to be loyal to someone unless you're you're giving me something that I'm, I feel in return is worth um, continuing to, to, to go with you, I guess. In regards to that loyalty program, what do you, what do you feel like the I guess the consumer values the most, right? Um, what, what's gonna drive them back? So if I'm an old mom and pop hardware store, right? So I'm fighting up against the Home Depots, I'm fighting up against the Lowe's. For example, perfect example is uh, Ace Hardware, right? They're, they're on the smaller side, but even if I'm, you know, Tim and, Tim and Peggy's, you know, hammer store, like how, how am I gonna create something that's a little bit different, right? So of course you can, develop a loyalty program and i'm sure from a consumer perspective everybody that walks through that door you're going to give them a warm and fuzzy feeling to try and say hey this is a wonderful shopping experience but if they've been around for 50 years how how do they 
I guess, reinvent themselves to appeal to different people who can just order it off of Amazon. I mean, it feels like a daunting task, don't get me wrong, yeah. but. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I think anyone that's competing against a big box one is, you know, has uphill battle, but then two, you know, of course, everyone's competing against Amazon. I mean, the three first brands you mentioned, like the Lowe's Home Depot and Ace Hardware, they're, they have their unique selling features. And, you know, a Home Depot is, tends to, I think, from what I've read, you know, focuses more on men versus Lowe's is um, targeted a little more towards women. So I think obviously both are going, usually you go to whatever's closest to you, um, you know, um, for the most part. But I think, you know, there are some times where you're like, uh, I feel like I like this part a little better. Um, Ace Hardware, I think, has definitely done a great job of rebranding themselves as of late, you know. Their slogan's like, what, the helpful helpful hardware folks? So I think mm. it's it's all about service to them. Yeah, Home Depot is probably, you know, Joe Schmo walking the aisles that probably, you know, might not be able to help you that much, but Ace Hardware is going to be the place where I could, you know, this person knows their stuff and they're going to be able to help you. So I think when you think about a mom and pop, it's you almost have to have that ace hardware mentality of what's really going to set me apart and what can i do you know if i'm just selling hammers then, <laughs> then, then <laughs> what am i doing that the other guys just are not going to do and yeah. you know um you just have to think about you know christy and i've been dealing with this a lot at work it's like what's this demand space that you fit in what's the white space that you can create for yourself that the other guys can't um, and what are the people that would actually be interested in, in, um, in, in buying that from you? So. so really what it all boils down to is exactly that, a differentiated experience, right? What can you own so that, that people know to come to you for that, ex that exact experience, even though you offer similar products or a similar type of experience or service, whatever it is that your business is, what is it that you can own or what demand space, what, what type of consumer segment is it that you're going after and kind of have that maniacal focus on something so that you really win in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge port and I'm definitely gonna, gonna tap on that is because I've seen a lot of people use that to their advantage, especially, um, in very saturated markets, right? So all of a sudden, like if you're a small business who's been around for a while and you're like, how do I compete? I think you have to use technology, but you have to use it in kind of a very smart way, right? So of course, in the age of COVID, everybody's had to turn whatever their model is into some type of delivery function. Like that's just kind of been a given. But what I've, I've also noticed explode over the past, uh, say probably a year or two years or more is review videos right and then also tutorial videos so it seems like there's a lot of you know youtubers out there is a huge one where people are just reviewing everything from mice to laptops to everything that you buy online and people make millions off of it right um another one is tutorial videos how do i retile a bathroom how do I put on makeup and, you know, using these different shades? How do I, you know, do these kinds of things? So I think if you find that differentiator that applies to your market and you use those two avenues to start getting your, your brand out there, for lack of a better term, you can really kind of open up the possibilities because then more people can follow you and then you can create different revenue streams for yourself, right? So not only, 
if you get a large enough following, like you guys were talking about the 5,000 followers for just baby photos, you know, if you do something like that, what's to say, you know, you create a niche for yourself and next thing you know, you start generating ad revenue from that. If you're a mom and pop hardware store, you might never have thought of that, but ad revenue from, you know, because you're reviewing the products that you do, that's, I feel like that's a win. Mm -hmm. No, it's a, there's a huge opportunity for that. You have to be really committed to it. You have to make a lot of content. Um, if you can see behind me, I bought, I have a Cricut machine now that cuts out little shapes out of vinyl and stuff. And I, first project, I didn't go to Cricut to find out how to do it. I Googled and there's this woman that makes hundreds and hundreds of Cricut videos on how to make all these projects. And I watched her and it was perfect. Um, and I followed exactly what she did and it worked. So, um, but she has a channel and I'm sure that she makes these, you know, videos like constantly. And that's really, you know, the, the algorithm of TikTok um, is probably the best social media algorithm I've ever seen and that it it's total psychological. Um, not only for the user, but for the people that are creating content, you're rewarded for the more content you make. And I think you learn to see what resonates. So it's almost just like addiction. And all of a sudden you have 100,000 followers and you're like, how did I even do that? But you just you know, found this niche in the platform. And I think tutorials there have become it's a different format of tutorial, but it's, it's super easy. All you need is a phone versus YouTube. You need a little bit more editing and, and things like that. So um, I think it's been, um, you know, it opens up this, it's so crazy how all of a sudden this app shows up and it's everyone starts using it. And then it creates a whole new revenue stream for people um, and way to communicate that we had never thought of before. Like we, um, you know, I, I work for Outback and um, this guy, posted some content at our, our one of our restaurants so I reached out to him um, and he's gained over a million followers in just the past few weeks because and he's quit his job he quit his job as a teacher um, and he's now going to be a TikTok content creator and like people just sent him money <laughs> well and, and speaking of that like I'm not hugely versed on it but can you speak to that a little bit for you know for those that might be listening as to how that like works like for me personally like i have a you know a tiktok account for the idea prop page i posted i think one video right so it was just it i know it's there you are not I rewarded know, I, for that i am not rewarded for that <laughs> by any means um but how is that how are you rewarded for the more content that you make just so that way people are aware because there's more to engage with. So, um, you know, TikTok has a dual screen. So there's the people you follow and then they say for you page. So the for you side is things that are like the things that you follow that they think you would like. So it's the ex kind of the explore part of it and the discovery part of it is in your face and they're putting that to you front and center so that you're finding people more often. So that's how people are discovered, I think better than any other platform. Um, so if you're constantly creating content and if you're making entrepreneurial content or whatever, and there's a lot of people on there that are already doing that, you're gonna be served in front of people that are interested in that. So, um, and if you do it more often, I mean, I saw it happen, you know, my daughter, she doesn't have a TikTok anymore because she got in trouble. But when she did, she made, she made a Fortnite account. And all of a sudden she had 900 followers. And that's how I kind of learned how this worked. I was like, how did you have 900 followers? But she had such a niche audience, people that liked Fortnite. 
and you know she's kind of this cute little girl so that's kind of a little creepy but regardless of that like she didn't do anything weird but she was just talking about Fortnite and showing her Fortnite stream so that's um, the thing it's like people are hungry for for things that that they find interesting like there's there are such niche accounts like that that then take off and people the longer you view the more content that's out there the more popular they get and the more followers they get which means more money like there i don't know if you've seen this one kim like the there's a girl who receives money to catfish other people's like husbands and boyfriends and to see if they will do something about interacting That's with this. That's terrible. I know, and there are people that are sending her money through whatever pay or Venmo cash app, whatever. I don't even know how much she gets for it, but they send her money. She goes out there, reaches out to them, and then will tell them what the, the conversation is all the way up until the point to where they'll meet up with her in person and she'll tell the spouse this. And this woman has a ton of followers. I mean, I went down this rabbit hole watching all these videos one day, but it's like, it's little entertaining. It's like watching a, a, a reality TV show or something and it's snippets of, Whatever. Cheaters. That remember yeah. the show Cheaters? Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the Cheaters is like a train wreck too. Like you, you tune in and you're like, yeah, let me just see it. Like you never really go to say, I'm gonna watch Cheaters. You just flip through it, lands on the channel, and you get sucked in. Yes. Um, yes. And I think that that, that that touches on a, a another point is I feel like you have to almost find a personal story, right? Like a, like people will believe like for example in this age of COVID that like whether or not you want to wear a mask or not wear a mask or whatever, or believe people, but it's almost as if people don't believe companies anymore. They take the words of their friends and their family members as way more like gold or gospel than what companies or agencies are saying, right? They just don't really buy in. So I feel like you almost have to like change the paradigm if you're a seasoned company and say, hey, let me kind of get behind one or two people that have a knack for creating quality content that people will that will resonate with them right mm -hmm. so you talked about the guy from the washington post right like washington post is a massive company but if you are they really reaching some of the people and so they probably gained a, an entirely new audience just because this one guy is kind of talking about you know, it, yeah. talking about things in an engaging way that appeals to, well, to new consumers. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you think about a news organization, what should it be? It should be like, you know, a guy reading the news and should be, you know, or out on the street, like you, in your mind, it should, that's probably what they should have done, right? But this guy on the content team was like, I'm quarantined. I'm just going to start making TikToks for you guys. I'm sure they're like, whatever, fine. And then it's blown up. So and I, I um, commend companies that are willing to take risks like that. So they, they're they're okay with kind of breaking the mold and what they've been doing in the past, and they're willing to take a risk and see what happens. Right? They're not afraid to, to go out there and, and change. If they're seen as this kind of buttoned-up company, they weren't afraid to go out on TikTok and, and change how they are um, presenting themselves. I think that's probably the, the most important part is you can't be afraid to change. Right, whether it's changing the demographic that you're going to go after, you know, if you're, or changing your core product line, if you provide a service or, um, or a product, and say, hey, listen, you know, I have to apply to a different consumer group. You know, even I'm thinking about, for example, like the travel industry. Right, um, before it was, 
hey, let me find these destinations. Let me find these cool um, places and then, you know, take photographs of them and put them on our website. And you can go here for $50, a, you know, a flight or whatever the case may be. Now, all of a sudden, it's kind of pivoted and they say, hey, let me let me turn to these travel bloggers who have, you know, 10,000 followers, 100,000, 500,000 followers and go and get behind them, pay them so that way they can post about my particular resort or my particular hotel or my particular whatever it is in my in my area. Um, and that's how the influencer pretty much came to be. So I think, you know, companies have to find a way to, to be creative with how they market and be okay that other people are going to be marketing for them that they didn't anticipate, that aren't in-house, that they control. Right, yeah. I think we'll see more of that too as like as our generation gets older and the workforce is more and less of the boomers and more of the, the millennials and gen uh, xers right then i think we'll definitely see more of that to come yeah i think out, out of curiosity since i know that you guys partially work in the space i'm just curious to see what your thoughts are because of course you have the, the boomers the gen xers probably the millennials and then this new crop that's coming into um into of age right so that'd be gen z or whatever do you have any inclination of their type of thought process about you know what they're going to value coming into adulthood you can probably speak to that kind of attention <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um i mean I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to be all about their phones. I think, I mean, they already are. Um, and Work I think- life balance probably. <laughs> yeah, just being, yeah. I think that's probably a huge thing. Um, you know, they're going to learn about everything before anybody. You know, I think they're going to yeah. be, you know, know what's going on. And um, they think companies should be able to follow along and meet them where they're at instead of yeah. I mean I think you know you think about all our kids I mean Christy you're not there yet but you know Mike you and you me have like older mm -hmm. older kids running around you know the thought of a TV channel doesn't exist for them you know when it used to be like I want to watch XYZ and you're on the regular TV they're I'm like it's not on right now and to them they don't understand those things like I can just go on and find it. Like it's on YouTube or it's on Netflix. So <laughs> everything's at their fingertips. Everything Information is, is at their fingertips. Everything. And it, yeah, they're ahead of the game. They're already ahead of the game. And so it should be interesting. Yeah, I think it'll be one-to-one -one on a scale, like marketing, one-to-one -one marketing and product development that, that you've never, you know, no one's ever really like realized. You have to like meet them where they're at versus them having to go seek it out. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you touched on another thing that I'm thinking about is just individual marketing campaigns, right? Like people with the immersion of data for people, right? You can follow everything that they like, everything that whatever, and all of a sudden you can create an individual profile of, you know, Susie Q and be able to market directly to her based on, you know, an algorithm or something like that. So it gets to that level for a seasoned business. I can see them, depending on your size, being able to do that. I can also see another generation of 
technology being used in which they might not even have to go some places, whether it be virtual reality, augmented reality, that type of thing. So they can, from the comfort of their home or their bedroom, they can go see a play or go to a football game or whatever the case is. So I think that's kind of, that's kind of neat. So. Yep. Wonderful. Now, I know we're running short on time, so I'm just going to hit a couple of bullet points and you guys can tell me if we missed anything. So to kind of answer the question around um, how do seasoned businesses kind of apply their thought process and whatever to a younger side and kind of bring in a more um, either younger demographic or younger customer base or younger core product or be able to stay relevant in their current time. A couple of things that we have to do is we have to, from from jump, you know, decide that when we move, things are going to be different. It's going to be upsetting to where we're normally at. Um, so just to be ready for that change and be ready to take that first step, right? Uh, number two is to apply your product and or services to different demographics that would potentially encompass more um of people. So whether that's um, targeting a little bit more towards women, towards minorities, towards those who are disabled, towards maybe international people, to students, to whatever, find that niche and be, you know, change your product to be able to incorporate them more and make it easier for them to use your product and or service. Um, number three is find a way to use your product or service and create some type of loyalty around it because with so many options there's a lot of times that you're going to get lost in the fray so finding a way to kind of hold those customers and bring them back to you in some way shape or form so that way they use you versus somebody else um, number four is find a differentiator for your niche so find a, a, a small niche that you can potentially exploit so that way people can develop a following um, for you for what you do and then find and get behind potentially a personal story so that way you can have people do your marketing for you um, and can help benefit your your product services and your brand did i miss anything nicely put yes i think you got it wonderful excellent well so great conversation I, I like that i think we came up with a lot of good stuff um and so i want to get you guys out of here on time so i just have to say you know thank you for bringing your your whole selves here everything that you had and kind of wrapped it up together and bringing your your insights and your personal stories and, and the data and stuff that you that you find i think it was super wonderful i think a lot of people will get some great value from it well, thank thanks, you thanks for having us this was thanks. fun for, thanks for letting us be on our first podcast yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Hopefully, it won't be you know, Maybe it, this it, is it, what's going to take us back to underpressed babies, and maybe we'll gain mm -hmm. some followers here. <laughs> yep. <Yeah, sure. laughs> I mean, all you got to do is start a little bit, and it takes off from there. So, um, <laughs> with that, um, thank you to all the listeners. I will definitely go ahead and put on these notes and stuff like that in the description so that way you can kind of follow along and see what's, um, what's happening there. And then um, stay tuned after the break and we might give you a Ideaprov Insight of the Week. So for this Ideaprov Insight, I wanted to share with you something that was a little bit more of a method versus an invention. So this computer scientist by the name of Carlos Gasherson decided to change the way that Mexico City looked at its infrastructure and transit system. Rather than using a more predictive model that says, hey, account for the controls that you may have and try and scale it up to accommodate for growth and then hope that it works in the future, he used a more adaptive style, a more adaptive model. So this involved using cameras and lights at intersections so that way the traffic flow would stay continuous and let them monitor and sensor and adapt on their own. That's 
reducing the travel times about 25%. In addition to using a queuing system for the subway, he was able to uh, remove people from like pushing and shoving to get on. So I thought this was a neat insight to share with you. It's a really good read um, on how to kind of, we can better go about building our infrastructure for the future. On that note, I'll catch you next time. Thank you.